I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It... I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Vertel, and if you identify as a Barb or a Barbie fan, I am so sorry about this week. I, <laughs> you really fell off the rails. Sorry. I'm scared for you and for me and uh, for us talking about it. But we are going to talk about it. The girls are down bad Whoa. this week. Yeah. It's, it's, it, is, it is so funny that this is all connected to the Barbie movie in a way. Yes, right. Because of Barbie World, Nicki Minaj's song. And when we get into that, uh, we'll talk about how she dragged Megan The Stallion's song with Renee Rapp, which is very rude. We, Leave Renee out of we it. We enjoy the song. I'm sorry. <laughs> this may be Renee peaking. I don't mean to insult the girl, but I really enjoy the song. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it started out with hashtag Hillary Barbie. Uh, Already, and... I, I'm honestly, I'm too daunted to do this episode. I think I actually have to leave the studio. The Hillary, <laughs> Hillary Barbie to Bigfoot. Yes. Like, what a week. What a week in pop culture we've had. But... Lewis, before we get started, I believe you had a burning question. Yes. What is Argyle? Do I have to be seeing it? First of all, every person is in it, including Mr. Samuel L. Jackson. Just yeah. all these choices feel shocking. Did you see the single that came out with Boy George and Ariana DeBose? Did you know that they were in Argilia or wherever we're at? Oh, okay. Well, that's not helping the singing uh, rumors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a hard. It's a uh, old-fashioned disco song. As in, Niall Rogers is the producer, so it's like designed to sound like '70s disco. Mm -hmm. I have to say, good lane for Ariana Debose. She kind of has the pipes and and energy for that. You know, bringing back like the 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 feel of. Fast Bee Gees songs or whatever, the emotions or that kind of, a taste of honey, things that sound like that. This has such an insane cast and it, 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 it feels like, um, it feels like one of those Kingsman movies where right. everyone was just popping up. 
Uh, but it has Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa, Bryce Dallas Howard, Ariana DeBose, Sam Rockwell, John Cena, Samuel L. Jackson, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Rob Delaney, Viola Davis. She's not <laughs> no. in it. <laughs> remember when Jonathan Major? By the way, but yeah, Rob Delaney. Remember when he was in Mission Impossible? God, he just is like infiltrated everywhere. This used to be somebody who sat on Twitter all day. I mean, it's just it's very interesting. Not all the people who were like Twitter jockeys in 2010 went on to you know illustrious careers. Like Rob Delaney made it happen. He really did, and I feel like he still tours as a comedian. And so he's a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. Seemingly a fabulous um, person. I want to talk about Dua Lipa in Argyle because the press tour for Argyle has had a lot of bad looks. Okay. I don't know what's going on with the red hair. It feels like everybody has a bright red hair moment, though. You know, I, I don't know if yeah. Rihanna made that, um, you know, sort of canon, but everybody sort of has that moment. I'm just, I'm wondering if I'm feeling the Dua era. I do, you're right. Currently. It feels like like half an era at the moment. Like a trans, you know, it's yes. like when Casey Musgraves followed up the album of the year win with that kind of slowish affirmation of her talents as opposed to a big moment. Maybe the next album will be the, you know, the yeah. uh, a high point again. But that said, yeah. who I think Dua Lipa is a good album artist. So I am eagerly awaiting the album. Yes, Houdini is fine. And listen, in Danny Harl and um, Kevin Parker from Tame Impala, I do trust. However, I don't even know if I like the snippet that we heard from Training Session mm-hmm. or whatever, the new album where she, the, with the white cover. She's she's hanging on a pole. Um, very Britney, one, two, three video. Yeah. I feel like Dua Lipa is an artist who would be great if she did one of those old school... Um, like Beyonce, Rihanna, um, even like Kanye things of like, here's a camp, you know, invite a bunch of great artists mm. to make songs for you and then pick which best ones. I feel like, but sometimes she just has like a singular like people she's working with and we'll see how it turns out. I am curious. I mean, like Houdini to me had fourth single energy. When you yeah. know, and, and I, I think there was some rejiggering, like she changed one song or switched something out. So um, mm-hmm. But th- that said, like the song from the Barbie movie, grew on me. Didn't think yeah. it would. And I-, I thought it was maybe a little ho-hum at first, but then there's something about her songs. And I think her attitude within the songs that sort of worms your way into the subconscious. There's like a cool, well, she's chill a star. vibe. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And she's a star. And her voice is just so – I love her voice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, I love hearing hearing Dua speak. Um, Apparently her podcast so, is good. You know I don't listen to those, but – <laughs> it is good it is good i like her podcast and newsletter it's weird to think of her being a pop star who has thoughts right that exists i guess well uh, she's thinking she's thinking of things you know well, i avidly avoid madonna's so uh, you know it's like i know some of them have thoughts but i can't be hearing them you know what i'm saying girl when that bitch brought amy schumer out <laughs> for vogue they, but like they are kind of like i'm not surprised because of course free thought or whatever madonna would scream but secondly uh Amy did promo for Madonna's celebration tour, right? Like she did the um, that video where they're all sitting around the table and then 
Uh, it's mm. like a truth or dare style clip where she's daring Madonna to go on a big greatest hits tour. So I'm not surprised to see her come back. Contractually obligated, yes. as as it were. <laughs> um, you know, like um, Sarah Silverman and Maestro. Uh, we've we've talked about Maestro being bad so much, by the way, but we have not truly addressed how horrible Sarah Silverman is in that movie, sounding like. Um, a mobster's mall the entire time. Well, by the way, lots of interesting accent choices in that uh, movie. I mean, like, it's it's borderline a, a Muppet Christmas Carol, what's going on in that movie. <laughs> um, so anyway, I will forgive Madonna if it was a contract thing, but, you know, pull out the Ouija board, okay? Ask Tupac what he would think, <laughs> okay? I don't think the Shakurs... Just all of them? ...would yeah. be supporting Miss Schumer, right. okay? <laughs> Talk to that painting of Basquiat you threw out or whatever and ask what it wants. Yeah. Do you know we are getting like multiple Basquiat projects soon? That's about right. Because we only know like three names from the art world anymore. And so it's like IP. We have to keep working with, you know, it's like it's like Snow White or whatever. It's going to keep coming back. Last week we talked about Jeffrey Wright. Mm-hmm. And like he was in Basquiat early The titular on. Basquiat, it, yes. Yes. And he didn't get a nomination for he that. Did not. He should have. But I do know we have one project coming out. Apparently, Lena Waith is working on something mm-hmm. about Basquiat's sisters. And then there is the adaptation of that awful play that I saw starring Paul Bettany and Jeremy Pope last year on Broadway, which is going to be happening. So I think that we'll be getting a lot of Basquiat stuff. But still, not the project that we've been talking about on the show for years, Lewis. Where is the Basquiat Madonna? Story. Well, also, it's like, don't say it too loud. Madonna will just fucking write it, and then we'll have to see it. And then she'll be like, as I've said a thousand times in this show, I just find her way too enamored with having known famous male artists. Like, it should be that they knew you is what we're obsessed with. But I don't know. She like it's it's It reminds me of that interview Cher did talking about her career where she said, one, I'm not a Cher fan, because, which kind of makes sense. Like, she's not really the audience for that kind of pop music. But two... She said she would be so intimidated in the 70s hanging out with like Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston and saying, these people are making these this great art and I was stuck making Dark Lady. It's like, you know, Dark Lady has outlasted plenty of other things from that time. Plenty of other Jack Nicholson movies. It outlasted Heartburn. <laughs> See, yes. Oh, Heartburn, not good. Not Nora's best. And then, of course, we learned on Drag Race this week that maybe Dark Lady isn't as well known as we want it to be. We get into this yeah. with our guest this week, by the way. Mm-hmm. Speaking of artists that people should really be digging into, by the way, besides Basquiat, where's the Keith Haring work? By the way, well, that's going to be coming because people still don't know yes. that, that name, too. And you see that design all over the place. It's always incorporated into one thing or another. Yeah, there is this great profile in Document Journal about Sean Dickerson, who works in nightlife in New York. He's been around for 40 years. I see him all the time when I go out. Uh, But just basically talking about, you know, 40 years ago about Keith Haring and those people, you know, hanging out in New York and going to parties and about how Keith would always come up and talk to him and like just chatting with people at the club and stuff. And I'm like, I really want a biopic of one of these people to get the vibe of what it was like hanging out Mm -hmm. in New York in the 80s, like going to parties and clubs and things. I feel like some of these things are so dry. Yeah, right. You don't get a sense of like, yeah, the actual we're all hanging out, having a good time vibe, like what it was actually like to be there. Again, I have to recommend Party Girl in this way. That to me has the vibe of 
Here are the people who are here every week. We're familiar with with each other in this way. She's a mess because of this. He's amazing because of this. Um, yeah, more movies like that, definitely. I rewatched that recently, and it's it's so good, and so, it feels so much like New York currently. You know, it it's New York just always sort of feels like that if you're in that younger sphere of going out and having fun. You know. Uh, also, by the way, sometimes I just listen to Studio 54 radio on Sirius XM, which, by the way, it's it's basically a bunch of people mythologizing three years in American history, talking about this one club when it existed when. And um, it's never not educational. You find out what it was like to be there and seeing, you know, Halston lingering over or Liza Minnelli or whoever and who randomly got to walk in unaccompanied by anybody famous and who was never got in and stuff. So tune in every once in a well. while. Well, you know, I'm Parker Posey now because I have a monthly party in New York. I right, you're in what we call an impresario. <laughs> I prefer Doyen. Okay, <laughs> so does Anna Wintour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that bitch better watch out. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. Before we get started, though, if you are in New York, come to that on Thursday at the Bar Dingling uh, at 10 p.m. It's called That Thing. Where is Bar anyway, Dingling? It's in. It's on Avenue A. In the East Village. Oh. You, you sounded like a character from Rent the way you just said that. How exciting. <laughs> You're out in the town. You know what? And I sing songs from Rent when I wander the street. Oh, okay. You know, with my scarf. <laughs> uh, I got my camcorder. Oh, my God. Camcorders. What an awesome word. That's like a, a great <laughs> 90s thing that should be brought back in some way. But not in an obnoxious I'm a photographer way. I just want to hear the word camcorder more often. Camcorders and voice machines. And talk boys. Answering machines. Yes. Answering machines. Mm-hmm. Yes, talk boys. I mean, I just recently watched Home Alone for Christmas. So the talk boy being in it. I did have a talk boy. I did not. By the way. I was so jealous. Because I would record my uh, little radio shows when I was a child, right? And I had to do it on a normal <laughs> recorder. And do you know what else I would do? Record game shows off the television with an audio recorder. What was wrong with me? You, like I will just find like an audio tape in my parents' closet and it's um, an episode of Family Feud featuring two different sets of Miss USA contestants. What is wrong with me? <laughs> I've thought about bringing the camcorder back, though, only because there's so much footage online, if you Google it and look on YouTube or whatever, of just like type in like New York or LA, like 80s, 90s, of like Fire Island or Pride festivals where people used to film them the same way that we film shit with our iPhones now. But, you know, it, it, it looks more like it is archiving history. Yeah, It's like I'm obsessed with um, old footage of Sunset Boulevard in the 80s or 70s mm-hmm. where it's like it's just billboards everywhere. And, you know, the Whiskey A Go-Go was a meaningful place to be or whatever, the Viper Room and stuff. That stuff. You and Tarantino. Oh, right. Yeah, definitely. Hanging out at whatever, Vidiots and, you know, screaming about uh, Dario Argento or whatever. <laughs> well, I think that we have delayed the inevitable okay. for a little too long. We have the exciting Sasha Velour here this week. We're going to talk about her new tour, The Big Reveal. We're also going to talk about Real Housewives, which was shocking um, to me. I didn't peg her for a Housewives me watcher. Me neither. But... I sort of was digging. I said, well, we'll get to the interview. But I'm like, what else are you into besides drag? And she brought that up. And I was like, okay, well, I'll set this one out. Moving on. <laughs> when we get back, it's time to piss off some barbs. Oof. Myself included. I'm looking forward to that. It's 2024 and there's so much to do, but it's hard to know where to start. 
If your decision paralysis has set in, it's now easier than ever to find the volunteer opportunities that are right for you with Vote Save America's brand new Action Finder. You tell VSA the causes you care about, whether it's taking back the House or helping more states get weed, and they'll tell you the best ways to get involved from your state all the way to the White House. Call it the cure for doom scrolling. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer to get started. Megan The Stallion's latest single has dropped, and unsurprisingly, the hoes are mad. <laughs> hoes rarely happy. You'll find. <laughs> Not really accompanied with the zeal of life, a hoe. Show me a happy hoe. <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of an Aesop moral. <laughs> show me a happy hoe, and I'll show you a Madonna album post-2015 that's good. Precisely. Confusing, but we're almost there. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, most notably, Nicki Minaj is mad. But that's also, that's her comfortable space. I think she prefers to be in a jilted, pissed state, if you will. She is a dungeon dragon. Yeah. <laughs> and... I don't know if you've seen Pete's dragon recently, but he was always, you know, mad. Right, right. Dragons have a lot in common, yes. Yeah, uh, mostly because other people couldn't see him. Mm -hmm. Tough. You know? Yeah, imaginary. And I feel Nikki's been feeling like she's imaginary lately, you know? Existentially, or whatever. She's been ignored by the rap game, by everyone let's let's talk about who nikki's been mad at lately tiktok yeah if you if you recall this last week she said that she was being censored on tiktok there is also an account i do not remember the name of the account it's this white woman who holds a, a coffee mug and does blind items because there's so many accounts trying to be doing moi on tiktok mm. apparently she did a blind item about someone going to rehab and heavily insinuating it was nikki and then nikki and the barbs were in her mentions on TikTok, harassing her, et cetera. And then she really just kept going. It, she kept, kept going ah. in this woman's mentions day in, day out, which was a precursor to Megan dropping hiss. And then Nikki then spending three days tweeting, Instagram living, and finally dropping Bigfoot which she claimed at first wasn't a diss track. It is very much a diss track. Excuse me, the music drops out. Music, by the way, liberally defined. The music drops out. <laughs> and then she just simply talks to Megan and intimidates her and implies she's lying about a number of things, including, by the way, her dead mother. Can I just say lying something? Lying on your dead mama. Yeah. On your dead mama. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that she's coming in with that is uh, crazy. I mean, like in the tradition of Nicki Minaj, it's crazy. But um, I listen, I almost got beat up in grade school uh, because I was trading barbs. Remember when barbs just meant insult? Yeah, we love that. Uh, trading barbs with someone, and I threw out a yo mama. Oh my! In living color like, classic. And, but someone was like, "His mom's dead." <laughs> That's right out of Pen Fifteen, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and and they were ready to kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, shout out to my cousin who stopped it. Uh, it was like, I, was, I, I didn't know. Uh, but I had to, I was cornered in an alley, girl. Okay. <laughs> it was the beat it video. Uh, that, 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 yeah. <laughs> Ooh, it took like two times in my life I've been in like a serious fight. And that was, <sighs> anyway. You're here now. Throwing out people's dead mamas. Be careful. Wouldn't recommend yeah, it. Yeah, right, right, right. 
Also, that is just like a little bit uglier than God likes it, my love. Yeah. <laughs> okay, God don't like ugly, and he like that's that's that's. There's no good and bad here. That is just the ugly. Right, right. It's like it's the ugliest. It's it's death levels of ugly. Okay. <laughs> I will say this now. I, I in the way that I cannot stand when people talk about Trump and they're like, but he is a little bit funny. I'm about to do that right now. During that, she's funny. During the track, <laughs> when at some point she says, "Cause you know I got tea," and she goes, "And I let you off easy." <laughs> The inflection. Do you know who she sounds like? It's like when Ghostface has been unmasked and they're just holding Sydney at gunpoint and they're like, and I let you off easy. You know, it's it, it was giving a little Laurie Metcalf in Scream too, and I got a little knife happy, you know. Obviously, I'm a big Scream fan, but when you said Ghostface unmasked, why did my brain go to Space Ghost? Wow, I have no idea. And I started idea. imagining Nicki Minaj at the desk performing <laughs> Bigfoot, but like a Space Ghost coast to coast. That would be really cool of her, one. And two, that's actually way more in line with Megan Thee Stallion, who apparently, her all of her tweets from 2010 are like, eating cereal and watching Spongebob, love this life I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> they keep trying to like shame her with these tweets and they're all like extremely quaint <laughs> my favorite was someone made it seem like she was commenting on Nikki's response track Bigfoot because she wrote oh hell no nah, not that song but it's a tweet from 2011 <laughs> <laughs> like what were you what were you talking about yeah rolling Probably in the deep a- what is it yeah <laughs> let's talk about Hiss first okay. Megan's song, the song that launched A Thousand Ships. So the song hits a lot of people. Yes. Nikki gets hits first with these hoes don't be mad at Megan, these hoes mad at Megan's Law. Megan's Law is like a punchline, I have to say, a little funny. I mean, it's uncomfortable (laughs) for me, but I mean, go there. I mean, your name is Megan. Go ahead. (laughs) And of course, Megan's Law references how sex offenders have to list their address. Right. Basically, and whenever someone's talking about Nikki, they reference her husband, Kenneth Petty, convicted sexual offender who cannot leave his home. Let me just say, is it possible she married that guy just so she could call herself Mrs. Petty? Because there is no more appropriate sobriquet in the history of music. <laughs> like, it's like if I married like, oh, my husband, you know, Nick Oscar bitch. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it works out. <laughs> You know what? Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. I'm like Argyle. Is Argyle a mystery? I don't know, and it's it's rude to ask. Please, I I can't go further. All right. What's wild is I feel like the nastier line was about Drake. Right. The, um, these niggas hate on BBLs and be walking around with the same scars. We're talking about Drake's BBL. Wait, she's she's implying this man had like an ass lift. Mostly implying that he gets plastic surgery. Okay, right. The same scars. Okay, that works. We've seen him with transformations over the years. Reveals, as Sasha Valour would say. Yes. Have you seen Drake's Instagram lately? No. Can you please open up your Instagram and look? <laughs> oh my god, I'm being he's, screamed he's, at. He's just turned into a Instagram influencer, like a get ready with me girly. Oh, here I go putting on a shirt with buttons. Yeah. Okay, here we go. He's still champagne poppy. Look at these photos. Yeah. Oh, he's just holding like an Aperol spritz for real? Holding an Aperol spritz in a luscious caramel coat. Right. I'm walking through a hotel lobby. Isn't this cosmopolitan (laughs) life of mine extraordinary? You're Drake. (laughs) He is one of the funniest rapper dichotomies to me ever. 
it's just just that is the general vibe of Drake. And then also he'll be like, I got killers. <laughs> right. People try to think that, you know, he's not really living that gangster life, but really he's living like Bond villain life. Mm. You know, queer coded. Sure. Taunting. Give him a cat. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Drake's a Bond villain. Drake is definitely the kind of person who would explain the plan to you for 30 minutes before he kills you. Now, which do you prefer, Hiss or Bigfoot? Just as a song. And again, song, well, I'm liberally uh, defining. Well, one of them is a song. Right. See, that's where we. I think Hiss wins. Yes. Uh, Hiss does win. and the, vi- the video is better than the song. I think it's good. I still don't particularly love the... Um, the intro in the middle part where she's just talking. It's it's it, I get that that's the vibe of her TikTok, but I'm trying to listen to a song. Right. I'm sure someone's going to make it into a TikTok sound and then that'll help it go viral. You know, there these are all the, the the tricks of the trade as it were. But um oh, the the beat goes in, I enjoy it and um it's fun. It's it's a good song. You know what is just inconceivable to me that Whatever Nikki is trying to claim in this song, that people are going to like turn on Megan. What could have happened that now we we will just hate her? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, she's been lying on a dead mama, on a dead mama. <laughs> I just <laughs> meaning what? It's so crazy. <laughs> okay, so before she released Bigfoot, did you see the Instagram live where it's just her closet and she's sort of repeating some of the lyrics. And here's the thing. If the internet is clowning you before you even drop the track because of the lyrics, one foot, two foot, get up on your good foot, big foot. Like, maybe that just means things aren't going in the way that you'd hoped. Right. <laughs> this should have, this is like, a, you know, beta testing. You threw it out there and oops, it's, it's not that great. Also, just being in the closet and she's sort of murmuring to herself, it's giving Howard Hughes with the pee jars in the closet. I, I, it's concerning. Yeah, well, considering her husband, that's why she's in the closet. You know, that's R. Kelly loved to hang out there. Okay. <laughs> he was trapped there, in fact. Right, yeah, in 13 installments or however many. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of installments, that's my favorite thing that Nikki keeps bringing up in Bigfoot. She's like, I'll save that for the next installment. Like, it's, <laughs> like she's some performance artist. And honest, honestly, by the way, side note, if you're talking about the one th- the only thing in culture that is really just sort of like really vanished now that we've taken R. Kelly out of the equation, uh, is how utterly insane the Trapped in the Closet saga was. Oh. It, wait, wait, when it first came out. Oh, no. I mean, it was because it was funny. And also, we didn't need to see it 176 times, as he thought we did. And it yes. went to a point where they brought in midget comedy, and I said, "I have this is where I leave. Uh, yeah, it, the closet. It ran longer than Passions. Yeah. Okay? P- precisely. We, we, it was the guiding light, to- bitch. I mean, <laughs> it went from radio to TV to streaming, okay? <laughs> 12 installments would have been good. Yeah. Uh, and at a certain point, I just remember Trapped in Closet still being on, and I was like, okay, shout out to her. Right. No, it was, it's like how you, like, too many cooks. It's funny that it goes on that long, but also it went on that long. So I can't watch this whole thing. But getting back to Nikki's trap, yeah. Bigfoot, it is not good, but I did laugh quite a bit. Not at bad bitch, she like six foot. I call her Bigfoot, the bitch fell off. I said, get up on your good foot. That part is so confusing to me because she later insinuates that Megan is lying about getting shot. Right. 
But then why would she have to hop up on the good foot? There's there's inconsistencies in the song. Right. You're being a bad detective right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, go ask for Gaga's help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a that's a pop detective. Right. Yeah. She's okay. doing the research herself. She's... Yeah. <laughs> Inspecting the premises. Can you imagine if Gaga got into this fight and she was like, I'm going to the location where Megan the Stallion was allegedly <laughs> shot. I looked for evidence. Full Al Capone, Geraldo Rivera outside the vault. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I did really laugh at this line, which was talking about Gail King, because if you recall, Tory Lanez's attorney implied that they had slept together, that they had had a relationship mm. before the shooting. But Megan on Gail King said that they did not have a sexual relationship. So some people believe that Megan lied about it. Some people don't, etc. But Nikki's line Fucking your best friend, man, is crazy. You the type, though. You was lying to the queen. Then you went lying to the king. Gail. <laughs> I'm sorry. I laughed. <laughs> also, that for even a second, she is actually calling Gail the king. Like, of all media? Like, what? <laughs> so funny. This, well, also, I'll say this, this about Nicki Minaj. I mean, like, however bad it gets with her, some people just have funny baked into literally how they speak. Like, when, when yes. she's on Drag Race or whatever, just making a casual comment is going to be funny. So, like, as heinous as she will get, it will always be funny. That's just how some people communicate. It's not like, I mean, it's a, it's a very casual talent, but... I, when we call her funny, it's not like we're saying, and all is forgiven, you know. That's why I also laughed at the line, how are you going to go on Gail King and can't cry? Child, bye. <laughs> Just saying child and bye in the song, it, with her intonation, it's funny. Yeah. She's a funny person. Well, also, people, you uh, forget that once upon a time before the rapping, she wanted to be an actress, you know? Yeah. she has, And she has that, like, you can picture her. She went to LaGuardia. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there you are. Um, you can picture her being like an eye-popping supporting role in a movie, you know? You know, where, where is that show that never happened, by the way? The Nikki, remember there was supposed to be a Nikki in high school show? Right. That was supposed to happen. I mean, I just want to see Nicki Minaj planted into fame. Yes. Actually. And the girl's fucking <laughs> hating her, right? Fame, fame costs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then she's fighting with Debbie Allen. Oh, my God. Put those two in room just period. Actually, put um, her in a room with Gail King. What am I saying? I want to see that interview. I'm going to always refer to Gail King as the king from now on. <laughs> you must be talking Sorry, about, Elvis. You must be referring to the king. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Elvis. And here's my ultimate thing about Nikki. This was not just like a thing to be laughing at all weekend. It also like felt really sad and desperate and like you you kind of like just feel for her in a way because it's it to be in your home, to be this obsessed ranting for three days, um the only interaction you have with the outside world seems to be your fans who are pumping you up, gassing you up to attack people constantly. It just feels that's not the Nikki that I fell in love with. It's pathetic. It yeah. is. And it's, you know, not to get all, I missed the old Kanye on her, but it's starting to feel like that in that specific period where Kanye was just getting erratic and you could tell that he was throwing his legacy out of the window. And it's, people constantly bring up the fact that if you are the queen, why are you constantly responding to everything? It's giving a hit dog would holler, as Megan said when she called into the Breakfast Club uh, and talked about it. And it's just, you don't want to see her having to resort to this. I like rap beef. I like fighting. 
sure. But it'd be very different if Nikki just it'd be very different if Nikki had just dropped this song, right? Mm-hmm. And hadn't had days of lead up. Cause just hearing like Lie on your dead mama is kind of crazy, but it's not crazier than, you know, um Ether or, you know, um shoot him up you know so it's it's we've seen rap beef of this level before but just drop it i feel like the days leading up to it made it feel erratic and crazy in a sense you know oh no you don't want to watch people like guesstimating what drug cocktail she's on i mean like that's not like a fun place for any fan or non-fan i think to be in like it's just like it's uncomfortable all around the passion she has for whatever th- I mean it's it's not lighthearted you know what I mean like it's it's grim and ongoing and mm-hmm. um, it, as you just said you can tell she is lost in her mentions and in fact in the middle of this song she thanks her fans in a moment that is also funny but um, <laughs> but it's but at the same time it's like you're clearly listening only to your fans you know that's like the the voice that's like propelling you into this that outro of the song though is deranged and there have been a lot of funny memes about it but when that music dropped out as she just goes now listen up, Bigfoot. You know, I got a lot of tea. No, I mean, again, <laughs> it, 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 she had a lot of nerve, but there, there were some line deliveries in there. At the end of the day, I am a barb. I'm always going to be one. You really can't get barb out of your system. I'm always going to be at the bar or a restaurant uh, ordering a margarita, and someone says, can I get salt around the rim? And my brain's immediately going to go to, can I get salt all around that rim, 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 rim tray? Like, the words are always there. It's always going to be in my sense memory. She's still incredibly funny, even when she's throwing out Bigfoot, get up on your good foot. Um the unintentional funny parts are still funny. There's a lot of comedy on Pink Friday too, you know? But it, it just it's sad that Pink Friday 2 sort of feels like a swan song. Right. Because I don't know where she goes after this. She's still gonna be around. I don't think Nikki's not gonna fade into obscurity, certainly not over the next week. But is she ever gonna shake the table again? Is she ever gonna gag us again? I don't know that that I think that's I think that's off the table. Well, to like take this to a Madonna fan place, I think the reason she still has fans after like years of questionable choices, strange statements, whatever, is like people admire that when like a star of this magnitude has a lot of fight in them to the point of self-sabotage. Like that almost, mm-hmm. we almost root for that in a way. Like they can't help but like nurse this feeling, this drive they have, even if it's against their better interest. Mm-hmm. That, that at least feels genuine as opposed to like appeasing their audiences all the time. Like so the, Nikki will always mm-hmm. kind of have that feeling, I think. And in fact, she kind of is the Madonna of her time. You know, like a, she mm-hmm. did shake the table and she did get too petty about certain things. And um, but at the same time, her legacy is only hers. Like there's there's no other well, rapper period that has done what Nicki Minaj has done. I mean, she did famously say, bitch, I'm Madonna, these hoes know. Right, yes. And then she got to be on another Madonna <laughs> song after that. And as you know, Madonna likes to throw people out. So that's impressive. Um, <laughs> also, shout out to Bitch, I'm Madonna, a Sophie-produced song. Mm, right, uh, yes. Yeah, so Madonna, like, innovative, too. One of the first people to work with Sophie in that pop mainstream realm, you know? So um, In the meantime, I hope BetterHelp gets to Gag City, because uh, it's 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 needed. <laughs> Judd Hirsch and Ordinary People, if you can make some house calls to Gag City. Thank you. Uh, and Megan announced her tour today. Help. So they're both going to be touring this summer. Nurse! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
love Megan. Also, Megan, I mean, we just ask sometimes people to come on Keep It. Come on Keep It. I feel like we've earned it. Just come on. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, come on Keep It. Okay, well, I'm, I'm frightened, but I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> also, Z-Way asked I, Nikki, oh, yes. I think you'd be an iconic guest. And then a day later, Z-Way's account was no longer on Twitter. <laughs> Bone chilling. <laughs> the barb said, how about not? Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but also, we saw the George Santos interview, and I think, that, girl, I don't, th- I don't think anyone's ready to interview Nikki. No, that's true. I'm not even. Yeah, you, you need I, like three I, strategies, I, and you need three people. It's mm-hmm. like intervention. Yeah. I, you need, we, you, we need Azealia Banks as a co-host. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm almost positive we don't need that. <laughs> She could handle Nikki. Actually, I just want to see their Frost Nixon. Yeah, I want right. to see the sit down. Mm-hmm. I think it would be more an Amadeus situation, but yeah. Mm. Banks Petty. Yeah. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> All right. Uh, when we're back, we're joined by the fantastic Sasha Valour. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Our guest today is an icon, not only of drag, as the winner of season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race, she's risen to the forefront of the craft, touring the world in dazzling stages with the mesmerizing, gender-warping style that we know her for. Now here with an all-new live tour inspired by the book The Big Reveal, please welcome to Keep It, the captivating Sasha Velour. Thank you so much for having me, Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with some brilliant comedy writers, comedians, and your takes on pop culture are on point. So I'm honored to be sitting down with you. Oh, that's you. so nice of you. Also, you are in the Alaska crowd of you open your voice to speak. I'm like, whoa, this is like a different universe of like uh, dulcet tones. <laughs> Woof, I have to like contain myself. Yeah. Dulcet tones, vocal fry, that, you know, yes. different descriptions <laughs> for different people, but it's, all, it's the only voice I've got. So, okay, I want to get to the big reveal momentarily, but I want to say that you'll be on uh, We're Here this season. And I think this is a very unusual task for uh, a drag artist because, I don't know, I feel like if you get into drag, your ideal is I'm going to go out there and be myself and, I don't know, push boundaries, etc. But then this show is sort of saying, inviting people into drag who would never do it in the first place. And how, I, I guess my question is, how ready were you to do that, to reach out to people unfamiliar with drag and bring them into it? That was the hard part. I mean, I'm used to teaching a drag number in, like, 30 minutes to other drag performers. Because, you know, in my monthly show, we learn a group number in, like, a very short amount of time and bring it to its feet. So I was like, this will be fine. Working with people who have never stood on stage before, I realized, okay, you actually have to train this person how to walk again. <laughs> like, like a literal infant. I literally became their drag parent. But... It, it also, like, the drag does the work for them. And that was a reminder of those first days. Just seeing yourself have the transformation, seeing yourself in the lipstick, in the corset, in the body, it just makes you inherently more performative and dramatic. And getting to see that transformation for people for the first time, uh, it's beautiful. This is so exciting to have the show be coming back because I feel like Lewis and I talked about it when it first came on. It, it was this new kind of, I felt queer show where it was showing people that obviously that we wouldn't see normally on a lot of the shows that we watch. Um, how did you find filming this as a reality product different from, you know, filming Drag Race? I know they're two very different <laughs> shows, but were there similarities? Um, were there some differences that were really noticeable to you? 
Um, just being out in the world is mm-hmm. a very different experience. There's something so safe about our gorgeous, like, fake brick <laughs> drag <laughs> studio that is Drag Race. Um, and literally going out into rural America, small towns like the one where I grew up that I got the hell out of because I didn't feel safe there. <laughs> um, but talking to people, particularly other queer people who still have connections to their hometowns and want to be able to stay want to nourish some kind of queer community for them to exist in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, really interesting. I think the biggest challenge is, like, when the camera crew goes and you've just been hearing this story about how someone was, like, you know, attacked or discriminated against in this same, on the same block, and then mm-hmm. you're just suddenly there with only a team of queer people and no protection. It's like, actually, am I in danger? <laughs> and those are the moments you remember, this is why we need community, because when you're not alone, it feels so much safer to be who you are. And mm-hmm. so at the very least, us and all our big drag provides some back up <laughs> for them in their beautiful lives. So as you continue to do your live act and evolve and, you know, come up with all this stuff that's outside of RuPaul's Drag Race, how, what is your appetite for the show like? Like, do you come back to it every week? Like, do you look forward to watching it? Or does it feel a little bit like, I don't know, you've graduated in a way, and so you don't necessarily have to watch it week to week? I think the first two years right after I was on, I did not want to watch it anymore. And I did it kind of <laughs> reluctantly just to, like, contribute to the discourse, which is always very exciting. It's more exciting than the show itself. Um, but I love it again. I just, I love seeing drag. It's, you know, we say the generations in drag turn over very fast. So I'm like a great grandma to the kids that are, mm. the kids, you know, so to speak, um, that are on Drag Race now. And, you know, I, I'm, it's really exciting to see how adventurous and out of the box people still are with this drag World, big wide world of drag. W- what do y'all I think? I want to say that it is bone chilling that you consider yourself a great grandparent because well, you were on the show, what, six years ago or something? And now it feels yeah, like we're in this universe where people are offended that somebody might have to know the lyrics to Dark Lady, where once upon a time, knowing the Cher song was just how you got on the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Listen, in drag, knowing the the divas gets you very far. And I remember like when I was touring in my first year on Drag Race, being able to like bust out a... Barbara Streisand performance mm-hmm. or a Dionne Warwick song or something like that. That goes a long way with fans of drag and with other drag artists because we know those things are timeless. They are, they, Dark Lady is going to be good for forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you better learn the lyrics. <laughs> I always wonder about specifics like that, especially after this recent episode of Drag Race with the Dark Lady incident. How is it? being a queen and, you know, being in the space where people are consuming, like, there's the audience who wants a Barbara song, the audience who wants Cher, and then there's our audience who wants maybe just, like, a Mariah or something, and then there's the younger people who maybe don't even know. I feel like, is drag how we're getting that education out to queer people? What are some gay standards that we always hear in the club, right? You know, you you hear, like, MacArthur Park or something every time you go out, but I'm sure there's 20-year-old gays who have heard that for the first time at, like, a disco gay party in New York. That's so true. You know, I think I only know Taylor Dane Tell It To My Heart from seeing it at a drag club. Yeah. <laughs> like, for some reason, that didn't come on the radio before. So we have you have to go to the drag show to get your education. Mm. With this new show I'm doing, I'm like, 
I have some very out of the box choices. There's mm. like a Stevie Wonder song. Mm. I'm doing a Deep Purple song from 1970. Wow. Mm. And there's some people who like that's their favorite song and they can't believe they are ever seeing a drag queen lip sync to it. And for other people, they're like, what was that? I have no idea. They write it down. They've never heard of Deep Purple, actually, most of the time. But often they can go off and it's, you know, introduce them to something else. You'll appreciate, I am performing in like three weeks at the theater in Schenectady where Mariah Carey filmed her Hero video. Oh, oh wow. wow. I know exactly <laughs> the environment. Yes. <laughs> so I get to grace that stage, but I'm not doing a lip sync to that, unfortunately. So your show, The Big Reveal, is centered around the idea of reveals, which is still, I think, the centerpiece of most drag that we see on Drag Race in the world. Talk about conceiving of this and what that word means in the context of the piece and what, what the audience gets from a reveal. I mean... Reveals keep life exciting. It's really my way of embracing all the disasters that like, we can't control that happen in the world and to our lives. You're like, with drag, you tell yourself, this is, in my fantasy, this is just a reveal I didn't see coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've learned something new about the world, usually something um, horrible. But if we make it dramatic, then it's, it's fine. Um, and when it comes to the reveals in the show, you know, I wanted to pay tribute to the wig reveal that I think pushed my name into <laughs> pop culture, I guess. I do remember forever. that you did that. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's so many other kinds. And I think the biggest reveal in my life was discovering this history of drag that has been purposefully erased and hidden and excluded from other forms of art, even though drag has been there alongside everything and it's been a really important part of queer activism, queer community, and we don't always hear those stories and those figures either. So there is a little history in this play that I'm doing, inspired by the book that I wrote, that charts the history of drag alongside my own life. Um, but the best way to do history is to pay a tribute to it with a performance. So to all the things drag has been, all the different kinds of reveals people have done, the stunts, the surprises, I try to give them a fresh life in this show and chart you through the history of a person and the history of drag in one 90-minute presentation that keeps you on the edge of your seat and surprises even the most jaded know-it-all drag fan <laughs> is my goal. <laughs> Now, it's interesting to me that, obviously, you are including your reveal where we saw you on Drag Race with the, with the roses and everything. It was so big. It was on television. It's everywhere. It's constantly still being watched online. Was there a period where you didn't want to reference it, where you wanted to sort of lay it to rest, where you, where you were like, I need to step away from the roses for a bit so everyone doesn't <laughs> oh, yeah. expect me doing this? And what made you comfortable sort of bringing it back for this show? Um, I didn't want to do it at all after it happened. It was like, it was a good memory, but it was also a very stressful, bad memory that, you know, was very intense behind the scenes. Um, and then I started incorporating it in my first One Queen show, Smoke and Mirrors. Mm -hmm. And just like the way the audience loved to see it made me, I was like, you know, it's not about like, it's not just about what I want to do. They're very excited to see, even though they know what's going to happen, they're almost more excited. So for this show, I don't do So Emotional, but I do another Whitney Houston song. Mm. <laughs> I do I'm Your Baby Tonight. And Great with a song. little wink, because it's yeah. like, 
whatever you want from me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think I know what you're Lightly are. cynical. Okay. 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 <laughs> cynical. Her full lesbian era, basically. <laughs> yeah. That Exa- album. Exactly. My name is not oh Susan. God, a lot going on on that album. <laughs> She's yeah. dressed like Gladys Bentley in the music video. Like, <laughs> yes. There's a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> the queer codes were popping. It is interesting to even think about how a moment like that is sort of for a pop star that we go see, right? You know, you want to see Madonna do this song at her tour, and you're hoping, is she still going to be doing that choreo? Uh, I'm thinking specifically of how gagged I and the audience was when she pulled out Don't Tell Me and then was doing the cowboy choreography from the video, and it's like, that's what I want to see. Which I realized was my first introduction to Madonna. <laughs> I have to admit, was don't tell me that video was on repeat on my TV. No, I, I remember uh, Paula Abdul saying once, I think somebody on American Idol after she had left Idol covered straight up and then she uh, did a surprise appearance and she said, oh, that song's been like a best friend to me. And I felt like that energy was people are so excited to see it. It becomes less about... You, how repetitive you find doing it and more like, oh, this is this belongs to everybody, including me, you know? Right. Oh, that's, I mean, a hit's a hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, I'm so grateful for anything that, you know, people love. Now, I think of you as forever. one of the great, um, shall we say, art connoisseurs of Drag Race, somebody who cares a lot about just knowing <laughs> pop culture, period, knowing, uh, uh, you're from New York, as I remember it. Um what is your favorite kind of stuff to be obsessed with uh, pop culturally that is completely outside of drag that you find yourself most avid in seeking out? Um, just like everyone else, I love my housewives. I love, um, I, I love like pop music and all the drama with the pop girlies. Um, on a on a heavier note, I I do love theater and I try to go see like you know we have a great theater in the city and I love going to see trying to write a play actually as we speak okay and headed for maybe some Broadway moment for drag and uh, I, I go to art museums all the time sometimes to read the art for filth because <laughs> I think that's kind of fun as well but also just to appreciate like beauty in all its forms that's so fun I just saw um Cola Scola's uh Oh Mary uh, at the Lucille oh, Hotel. I so wish I could see it. Oh. And so that is like, that is, that is, that is what you want to see when you're mixing like drag and theater and Word. it's so fucking oh, funny. Oh my God, he's so brilliant. Yeah. So you really just wander around a museum. What, like you, uh, <laughs> I think that's fucking rad. I mean, I, I like, I'm so, um, I get my information from things like Wikipedia because I can consume it quickly and then go on with my day or do Wordle or whatever. And so when people go to a museum, I feel like there's a real serenity to that vibe. And like, do you find yourself just, actually remembering the things you take in at a museum. This sounds I sound like such a trog talking about this, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although the, sen- the sensation of like, you know, really walking up to the thing and looking at it closely, it can mm-hmm. like, that can help you remember. We're so overstimulated. I feel like we need those moments of serenity, like you said. Yes. What is your favorite time to go to the museum? Because especially in New York, it is, you got to time it right where you're there and you can actually look at it because there's just people yeah. standing around. But, like, what's your favorite, like, time of day to go around the museum and just hang out? I like. I mean, it's hard to get out of Flatbush early enough, but <laughs> the first time in the mo- early in the morning is the best. And then you can go and you have, like, an afternoon cocktail and discuss what you saw, what you liked, what you didn't like, mm-hmm. what you remember. I like to go with, like, friends who don't go to art museums because I feel like they have the freshest perspectives on the art. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just fun. We laugh. 
Here's a question I have for you. If you couldn't live in New York City and you couldn't live in New York State, where would you live? Where would I live? You know, <clears throat> I just was in Oklahoma for filming We're Here, and I was gagged. Really? It's an incredibly yeah. conservative yes. state. Let's just be clear. But they're like... This, the drag scene in Tulsa, I was blown away by. And the, obviously, like, Tulsa has such a complex history that is, like, constantly being discussed. And I, I feel like there's, you know, there's culture. There's movies and TV are being filmed there. It's quite a cool place. So, strongly recommend. And also Hanson's from there. So, I mean, talk about culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I think they've gone quite conservative. You know now. what? I didn't um, investigate but have... that, but I do believe you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They um, have um, a studio there. I was like, like the Hanson, and then I looked it up, and I learned that yeah, you're right. They are not only from there; they still live there. Well, you know, the original Hanson brothers um, started the riot. So, <laughs> is that so? Oh, uh, yes. Is that so? Yeah, the yeah. first brick mm-hmm. goes down through generations. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the lyrics to Umbop. Okay, yeah, it's all what, right are what are they saying? What are they saying? It's, it doesn't shock me that Tulsa has amazing drag, though, because I feel like one of the beautiful parts of watching Drag Race is, obviously, it's fun when the New York girls are there and they all recognize each other. But when you see two girls and they're both like, hey, we're from Denver or something like that, you, you're imagining the world that they live in from their interactions. And it's, it's so much fun. You know, that, I feel like that's why I really enjoy we're here. I feel like that must be why you enjoy touring. You know, you get to see these locals who are doing so much great stuff that we might not ever see just because it's not going to be on TV. It makes me wish that there were, you know, more avenues just to see local performances regularly. I agree. I think I'm, I keep trying to tell people like our quote unquote local scenes, that is where real drag is happening. Mm-hmm. It all filters down to TV mm-hmm. after that. But if you want to be on the cutting edge of what drag is, you have to go to your local drag bar. Mm -hmm. And everyone's got them. And we got to keep them in business. The one in my hometown where I first went out in drag in small town Illinois closed down like five years ago. And there's, it's like, it's hard to bring, when something's been around from the 70s, you can kind of keep it around, but... It's hard to bring these these cultures back. So oh. fight for them to keep existing. We're in Illinois. Wait, were you two from the same area? Oh, I'm from, from a southwest from suburb called Lamont. Oh, I've never heard of Lamont, I have to say. I'm from Champaign. Oh, okay. You're from Roger Ebert country, as we say. Yes. Roger Ebert country. (laughs) Yes. There were still cornfields, but there were professors. Right. (laughs) Nice mix. (laughs) I guess my last question for you is, is there anything from your earliest days of drag, when you're basically figuring out how to do it, that you would never do now? Did you do experimental stuff then, uh, just trying to figure out your voice, uh, before you're like, okay, wait, actually, that wasn't me. Things you attempted. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think it's like the the fully copying someone else's number <laughs> of it all that every baby drag queen does. You're like, I loved how she mixed those two songs together. I'm going to do that exact mix. <laughs> what um, if me? That is such a no-no. Yeah. But on the other hand, how else do you learn? <laughs> before you go... Um, Obviously, you said you love, you know, your housewives. Is there a moment from any of the shows, any franchises where you feel like if you were to incorporate it into a drag show or maybe there's one you already have, you know, like I feel like there's so many people probably doing receipts, proof, timeline all across the U.S. right now. But what moment sticks in your head where you're like, I would love to conceptualize that in drag someday? 
Um, you know, the the Beverly Hills, like, Amsterdam fight scene with yes. the smashed wine glass. Yes, let's talk about the husband. Like, <laughs> let's talk about the husband. Just, like, the 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 dance of it all is is just, like, peak drama. Like, the best of TV, certainly best of Housewives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's all about Salt Lake City this season. It was kind of a dull season, but that reveal... The big Monica, reveal. Talking about reveals. Reveal, you know? Well, that spoke to you, huh? Yeah. It spoke to me. It spoke to me. What were your thoughts on Monica? Because it was kind of a fine season until the end, and I feel like a lot of people were like, she saved the show, she was so amazing, and I feel like she... Heather saved the show because she caught her. Yeah. Yeah, Heather was the one giving drama, giving Shakespeare Mm -hmm. about it. I really needed Monica to inhabit, like, the campiness of a villain better. She kept trying to justify it, um, and it's really unjustifiable. So I think those are the moments you have to just go full villain if you want to be a reality TV villain. Uh, It's too late to be sympathetic. (laughs) I always Um, think of, like... A, you know, Johnny Bananas, for someone from the MTV world, uh, who is always for years played the villain on the challenge and does it online. It's very wrestling. Like, he mm. loves being the villain. It, it's right him heel. being... It's it's a thing that you sort of get in drag, too. You know, being generous with the audience. Uh, as my friend um, Ray Sani, who's been on this show before, has described it. You have to be generous with the audience to give them a villain. But if you're concerned with, I'm going to give them what they need in a villain but also they have to like me as well then you're failing because they have to hate you for you to be the villain and then they'll learn to love to hate you right and in some ways like wanting to be liked is not a good need for being on a reality tv show at all <laughs> right <laughs> and it's probably probably not a good life lesson either like just, if you like yourself and like what you're doing like just embrace it <laughs> and also it's like you're not going to be in the edit bay girl so stop pretending like it's always going to go your <laughs> way exactly yeah. <laughs> like maybe you don't know that you're not like yeah right. it's too late now <laughs> well thank you so much for god being what a here, pleasure Sasha. thank you so much yeah. for spending your time with uh, us Thank you so much. Anytime. I adore you guys. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Thank you. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my Crunch Berries. I think you mean my Crunch Berries. Choose your own Crunch Venture with Captain Crunch. Nikki wasn't the only Barbie that got publicly dissed recently. After the Oscar nominations were dropped, several fans, oh, white women, uh, <laughs> took you to the internet. <laughs> took to the internet to defend Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, who were not nominated for Best Actress and Director. <sighs> A scandal. I guess. Lewis, you're a resident Oscar. Um, correspondent. Sure. Oh, shall I just go? Think? Okay. Well, yeah, I want them to attack you, okay. girl. <laughs> I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say. Um, <laughs> I will say this. First of all, I thought Barbie had an awesome Oscar nominations day. I mean, it got eight nominations, way more than most other movies, whatever. Um, all this really proves to me is that the Oscars remain the relevant award show. I mean, people are pissed mm. because... There is sanctity to who actually gets in with these nominations. And it's because, I'm so sorry, the Grammys, they stick with the five nominees in the various categories. There's still only a few people who have Oscars. It's not like the Grammys where, oh, if you miss out one year, don't worry, you'll win four the next year. You know, there's just like, Mm -hmm. they don't mean anything anymore. There's still like, there's kind of hallowed ground to the ceremony still. And I have to say, selfishly, I love seeing that. I love seeing people worked up about a snub. Now, that said, I think Danielle Deadweiler is a worse snub. I feel like I we needed more volume for other mm. snubs then. And this year, Tiana Taylor, to me, was an extraordinary lead performance. Can't believe it didn't make any headway this year. Truly, it's an amazing... If you haven't seen that 1001, movie, it's so fucking good. So, so fucking good. And uh, A.V. Rockwell, the director, like, what a stunning debut. Yeah, oh my God, it's so well-directed. It's amazing, it's amazing. Um, uh, there... Uh, uh, by the way, Anjanu Ellis Taylor in Origin, that would be an extraordinary nomination for that category. A very um, intellectual, conversational movie, and she makes it extremely dynamic. Um, like, there's no. Didn't Frances Fisher try to yes. start a to Leslie for her? Yeah. But, a little too late. Yes. But... It, it, it was literally a little too late. I think if maybe we had started a month before, that could have been possible. But. Um, the first thing that Barbie fans are upset about is Margot Robbie not getting in for Best Actress. I will say this. I think Margot Robbie's performance is the best thing about the movie. Like, And as uh, mm. Diablo said last week, tall order. Making this doll and her journey from plastic to the real world not just interesting but emotional. Um, there's a lot of curiosity about the character. There's a lot of uh, uh, discovery that's a lot of fun to watch in the movie. That said, historically at the Oscars – a big, kind of bold, colorful, comedic performance 
rarely gets into the top five for best actress. The fact of the matter is people are way likelier to vote for a comic performance if it's in the supporting categories. This is just the way it is. I don't know if people don't think that uh, like a comedy performance, even with emotional elements, just isn't as competitive when up against these dramatic roles. But that's how it shakes out. Like a Goldie Hawn and Private Benjamin, who was nominated, or Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman, who was nominated. That is extremely rare. And in fact, Julia Roberts has four Oscar nominations. She only has one for the thing she's amazing at, which is being the lead in a funny movie. You know, all right. the other ones are like very dramatic roles, um, et cetera. So I think just. I think a good um, historical comparison is Kristen Wiig and Bridesmaids. If you love the movie Bridesmaids, you love that performance. What she brings, she's mm-hmm. not only these uh, hilarious moments, obviously it's a hilarious movie. It's a melancholy performance. There's a lot of like sad reality to that character and it's really dynamic. She was never in the discussion for Best Actress basically that year. Mm-hmm. And Mer- Melissa McCarthy was immediately for giving just a broad supporting mm-hmm. performance. I I don't I don't know what to say about that other than I think people prefer comedy in the Oscars conversation when it's in a featured capacity. There's something about popping in with funny that feels like it it uh, satisfies the word supporting in a really satisfying way. And that's why mm-hmm. you have lots of wins that are like Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost is supporting, Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny, Mira Sorvino, uh, Octavia Spencer in The Help, another movie where the lead was not nominated. And if you like The Help, you liked Emma Stone in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just feel like, weirdly, there's a lot of historical precedent for Margot Robbie getting left out of the, or I don't want to say left out of the conversation. She almost certainly came in sixth. She almost certainly came in sixth. One thing I want to say Barbara Streisand, perhaps the definitive comic actress of the second half of the 20th century on stage and in movies, she has one Oscar nomination for a lead comic performance. She also has another nomination for The Way We Were, which is way more dramatic. But the fact of the matter is, if she gave the performances she did in What's Up Doc, in The Owl and the Pussycat, and those were supporting performances, she would have been way likelier to get nominated for them. Wait, let me guess. Is it for the guilt trip? (laughs) Still waiting on those noms. Also, what do you think about what you just said as well? Ryan Gosling fits that too. AT. One, beloved actor since 1997, earlier if you're Mickey Mouse Club. And and we certainly are that. Yes. Yes. Mickey Mouse Club, Breaker High, Young Hercules. (laughs) Like, people love Ryan Gosling. You know, that's why he's been nominated before. And a supporting role in a comedy, like you said, is a tall order. You come in you, you, more than the ones that get nominated to, the, like you mentioned in Ghost, um, Whoopi, you missing Melissa McCarthy, Bridesmaids, um, even Marissa Tomei. Yeah. You know, these are the performances that basically, yes, you love Barbie because you love Marco, right? Uh, but when you love Barbie, you're also thinking of Ryan Gosling. Certainly. And he sort of makes the movie in a way, and I feel sad saying this because, you know, he's a man, but I said it when it came out. The movie is about toxic masculinity. The movie in turn has to highlight Ken's turn toward toxic masculinity. So the movie, a lot of the plot hinges on his journey. And with the I Am Ken song being nominated, um, that just feels like people celebrating the movie, but celebrating it in the way that they feel like acceptable nominating a comedy. You know? Right, right. Well, also, it's like, I mean, I I felt like 
people who are really bummed about the Margot thing are trying to use the Ryan Gosling nomination against her as if to say, if you nominate him, well, you obviously have to nominate her. But honestly, they're just two completely different races. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's less going on in supporting actor this year. Oh, he's black? <laughs> Not what I meant. Race. Let's get, let's, let's get a dictionary in front of you. Race has multiple definitions. <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, like, I was less passionate about the supporting actor category this year. And I'm not saying Ryan Gosling is bad, but, like, I think in, in a more competitive year, he would probably be left out if there were more performances like as epic as Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer. I can't believe Charles Melton didn't get in. That's still mm-hmm. um, strange to me. But if you look at the lead actress category, I mean, like. Those women are running those movies, like Sandra Hewler. I mean, I can't even think of mm-hmm. another performance that's like that. Like Emma Stone is technically a comedic performance, but at the same time, it is chock-a-block with crazy acting choices. So there's a mm-hmm. lot to immediately reward. You know, it's like, oh, she's um, uh, uh, borderline brain dead at the beginning of the movie, and then it, she evolves into this uh, sort of realized, still Frankenstein-y place. It's a one-of-a-kind performance. Um, so it, and honestly, if you're thinking about what people are rewarding as well, that's what the money's for, yeah, to quote right. Mad Men. This movie made so much yes. fucking money, mm-hmm. and I feel like, you can tell me if this is wrong, but just like in recent history, at least, at the Oscars, when they are celebrating a movie that is a big box office hit, they want to celebrate that film, and of course, you want that represented at the award show because that's what people are going to tune in for. They're going to t- like Margot will be at the Oscars. Right. She's nominated anyway. Yes, it's producer. But um, even last year, when Top Gun saved cinema, right? Top Gun Maverick is nominated for Best Picture. Tom Cruise didn't get a nomination. Precisely. Right. 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 And also, he was great in that film. I, I think that that's um, one up there with some of his best performances. But, you know, like, he wasn't even in the conversation, really, for it. Because I feel like a lot of people feel like the box office result is your reward. Action is their reward. And, like Spider-Man. And also, like, I mean, like, historically, there's just so many examples of, for example, like, Audrey Hepburn not nominated for My Fair Lady, which won Best Picture. Leslie Caron not mm. nominated for Gigi, which won Best Picture. It's like, well, what do we like about the movie if not this thing? But it's like, Best Picture, I think, is we're, we're saying it's greater than the sum of its parts. You know what I mean? It's not just about any one part. So I think it's fair to say, I think it's fair to nominate the movie for Best Picture, particularly when there are 10 nominees and there's only five for everything else. Like, it just makes sense that, like, something would land in the best picture category and then maybe be snubbed otherwise. By the way, there are always movies every year that are nominated for best picture that get no acting nominations. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, the zone of interest, great performances. Sandra was never really a contender in supporting this year, even though she was amazing, you know. So I, I just feel like the Barbie stands, as I'm hearing them, are, well, that's exactly what they are, stands. They like this one thing and they liked it a lot. And they're like, well, why isn't it here if I liked it a lot? But I, I think the point of the Oscars is nobody is coming in only having seen one movie. The point is mm. there's lots to enjoy about lots of things. And because only five fit into certain slots, that doesn't mean we hate anything else. And I feel like that's the implication of a lot of these arguments. When people are sitting at their computer voting, they're picking five things in their individual mm-hmm. voters. There's not a committee of like, a, a bunch of mean gay guys being like, who do we leave out? Like, it's not how it works. You just pick five things you like. And presumably you've seen all the movies. Well, and to get into that argument specifically, there's the whole, did Barbie direct itself argument? Because Barbie is nominated for Best Picture and Greta Gerwig is not nominated. 
there are more Best Picture nominees than there are directing <laughs> yeah. nominees. Yes. So you'd have to say that about all the other pictures. Like, did they direct themselves? Right. You know, and you also have to know that Oscar nominations come from the branches. Yes. People can vote once things are nominated, but the branches are directors are voting for Best Director. Actors are voting for the acting nominations. And so... No one is meeting. There's no collusion. There's no even Venn diagram um, of voters okay. there. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, collusion, delusion. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> they are not conspiring against, well, I could argue the directing snub was a little um, gretacy. You think so? <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, for some reason, they don't see it from my girl. But I do think that she will get nominated again. Well, she's going up into Narnia. Right. But, yeah, and who um, knows what that will mean for everybody. I see her win, actually, for a movie that she writes and directs without um, Noah involved. I mean, like, Lady Bird was exactly that. One of the great yeah, movies that, of that the was, that 2010s. Yeah, that was that. You know, no, it's, it's her best film. Uh, also, at this point... It, Keep that man off the set. <laughs> at this point, it actually is weird... <laughs> That she just hasn't wound up with the win. I mean, she's so, so respected. Like you say, just I, I think of the last decade of movies and there would just be a gaping hole without her in it. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, like when you look at who's nominated for Best Director, though, I mean, like these are largely extremely epic movies and they were it, it, the the control in the direction is so fabulous. Like, again, J- Justine uh, Trier for Anatomy of a Fall. Give me a break. That is like perfection. Like absolutely a deserved mm-hmm. nomination. All of those people. Like I'm not like a Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan stand, but that's probably his best movie, mm-hmm. right? So I'm um, just mm-hmm. like I feel like it was an extremely competitive year. You know. I think that if you are taking anybody out, you know, people there's, you know, there's your ghosts maybe, but that's my favorite film of the year, even though it's not for everybody. And also, it's a distinct and stylistic risk, I think. Uh, like, Poor Things does not remind me of his previous movies. It's an advancement up- upon his movies. The look is st- very strange. We've called it, like, Roald Dahl-like oh, in a way. But, like, it's mm-hmm. very particular to the world he creates. And I think it's it's all from his vision. So I, I think it's a really qualified nomination. You want a little controversy? Mm. I would have taken out Marty. I might have done I that, love too. The kill- I love Killers of the Flower Moon. I do. But it's 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 not one of I don't think it's one of Scorsese's best films to me, and I think that there are other things to highlight in the film besides the directing. I feel like there's some other directing work that I really enjoyed this year more than um, Scorsese in um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, fuck, we're talking about Greta, but. A snub in directing for me this year is Iris Axe. Oh, love that movie. Where passages? was Passages? Ugh. Not a single nomination this year. Where was the conversation with this? The conversation needs to be about Passages and not um, all of us strangers. Passages was fucking fabulous. It's probably it's in my top three of the year. That Franz Rogowski, yeah. who I don't even know if I'd seen him before. That's like the most jarringly <sighs> realistic gay dude I've seen on screen recently. Not just the fashion, like the way he treats... There's a lot going on in that performance that I really admire. You need to watch The Great Freedom if you haven't seen it. I need to. I need to. It's it's really amazing. I love Franz Rogowski, and I'm I'm glad that that at least seems to have put him on a bigger um, stage um, for him to be celebrated, because that is a 
amazing after. Also, it must be said, you just touched on the thing that is most frustrating to me about this Barbie conversation, which is by all means, zero in on a snub that pisses you off. You have to then do the work of picking the person who doesn't belong in the nominees. Mm-hmm. When, when, when it's this cutthroat in directing and I think of Killers of the Flower Moon and I think, you know what? You probably could have taken 25 minutes out of it. That to me is worthy of taking somebody out of the conversation. I didn't feel that way about the other movies. Um, but when people are just saying, why didn't she get in? It's like, well, you have to look at who did get in because that's what people are picking. They're not picking who was left out. They're picking who was left in. So in a mm-hmm. way, by the way, that's the most fun thing about talking about a snub. Be a fucking asshole. Say who like wasn't worthy of it this year. But that runs in diametric opposition of this whole like hashtag Hillary Barbie movement, right? It's very, these women were snubbed and we have to support them, but you don't want to talk about who needs to be cut then. Right. The, it's, it's just any man. Right, vaguely. Also, Hillary's <laughs> message to Margot and Greta hurt my brain. <laughs> I couldn't believe I was seeing it. If it, it was so emptily sympathetic, it's just like, have you said anything about Barbie before? Like, what what is the thing about the movie that you're defending? What is it about other movies that's not as good? I just found it so nauseating. It, it was it was sentiment, meaningless sentiment. Which, by the way, speaking of the Hillary of it all, <laughs> and you know, maybe it was just a man who took your spot. It's it's giving very. Um, it's going to be very Larsa on the traders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the definitive document well, who, of our times. Uh, well, who shouldn't be nominated? Maybe a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she figured out who a traitor was. Yeah, right. But it reminds me of, to bring up Nikki again, do you remember when Nikki and Taylor were um, having a back and forth Oh, yes, a man took your spot. Yes. yes, I've done nothing but love and support you. It's unlike you to pit women against each other. Maybe one of the men took your slot. What is so nauseating. <laughs> the rhetoric is so infuriating. Um, it goes into, speaking of Taylor, um, this thing that has really happened with Barbie and this over-identification with a commercial product that is just the, the commercialization of identity and it just feels so cool. You're getting worked up about Barbie because it's like another, you know, white woman. You know, it's, it feels very, you know, identity-laced. It feels like the snub against this movie is a snub against you personally because mm-hmm. you like the movie and it meant a lot to you. And I will say, like, look, it should be commended that this movie connected not just like people are fans with it. Like this movie connected with viewers in the way that I associate with like a blockbuster album. You know what I mean? Like it reminds mm. me of whatever, Jagged Little Pill or something or a Tapestry or Exile in Guyville or whatever. Like people pick mm-hmm. this album. It's like their thing and they're going to watch it forever and there's something about it that like they want to keep returning to. Um, that should... Which is beautiful yeah, and that's yeah. what cinema is for and I think that there's a lot that um, Greta has done for... Uh, Artists who want to make a good film within, you know, the commercial realm. Yes, right. You know, but this over-identification with it where, you know, a slight against Barbie is a slight against you. Going back to what we talked about before, a slight against Nikki is a slight against you personally. You know, a slight against a joke about Taylor Swift is an insult to you personally. It's the, the they're not you. Right. They aren't. You're right. If it, it it feels too personal. It's cool to have a personal connection with a movie, but you can't take it personally when it's criticized. Yes. 
There's actually nothing I love more than talking about a movie with someone that someone doesn't like that I do like and vice versa. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, 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 this is the best part of loving films, also, especially this period now, debating with friends at, um, over drinks or at dinner and stuff. Like, I like that. Well, I didn't like that. Like, and, and the push and pull. And you're having a conversation about film. And when you just shut it down immediately um, with, well, this is why, you know, because they don't want to support women, et cetera, et cetera, um, without getting into the specifics of that, because there is misogyny at play, probably, particularly in Greta, you know, but is there misogyny at play in Margot not being nominated when she's up against other women? Right, right. Well, also, by the way, you just said it like to me, there's actually something reorienting about getting into a discussion about something I am personally obsessed with and somebody else, you know, is indifferent about or whatever, because it's nice to remember that this is just a product that exists outside of you. Like, I'm guilty yeah. of over-identifying with this stuff myself. You know what I mean? Remember a few years ago, people were like, oh, Jagged Little Pill's not good, or there was that Jezebel article or something? That mm-hmm. actually was refreshing to the soul, ultimately, even though I would obviously kill for that Canadian woman. <laughs> um yeah i mean this 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 over identification with pop culture is really i mean it's great for advertisers you know it's great for execs because they want people to do that but there just has to be this separation of the product and who you are as a person so you can have a healthy debate about art and culture and i feel like that's why criticism is dying that's why pitchfork is fucking dead you know being folded into gq like it's all it's it's all connected (laughs) (laughs) also namely it's like again barbie has a lot of very funny moments uh uh personal humane moments it also is a car commercial and a doll commercial so i mean Mm -hmm. there's things to love and then things to like just question as you know a viewer also maybe she needed one more scene but if we want one more scene in like a monologue, but if we really want to talk about someone who gave a hilarious performance in Barbie and was supporting, and a woman who was snubbed, Issa Rae, she I was the funniest was part maybe of that the movie. The funniest part of the movie, yes, the funniest part of the movie. Every line reading, yes, and like it, was so it belonged funny. To the doll universe, the wh- her choices, you know, it, yeah, it, it, they were all very funny. Also, very funny to have the president of the United States as part of the story. Like she hasn't made the yes. discourse that much, yeah. What was it? Her pronouncing Godfather? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Issa also very funny in, um, and good in American fiction, by the way. Oh, yeah. She's great. Uh, even with that wig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on in that scene with the hair. But I will say that you have to remember, too, who is voting for these nominations, by the way? America Ferrara was not shocked that she got in because when you think about actors voting for other actors, actors always flock to the monologue. Interesting. If a character has a monologue to an actor, that means I'm acting. <laughs> it means that's that's the role that they wish they'd be playing. You know, it's if you did theater in college, the amount of times I had to sit through that inane monologue from Neil Simon's The Star Spangled Girl. <laughs> it's it's just it's so much. But actors, they get the they, they attached to a monologue and you'll never hear the fucking end of it. It sounds like you have a case of the Biloxi Blues. I don't there's no cure. There's no cure. Um no, you're right. I feel like Julianne Moore in May December maybe needed a monologue moment in order to uh cinch something closer to a nod. Well, and Natalie Portman's monologue is why the actors didn't vote for her. <laughs> 
They, it was, it was giving hit dogs hollering, yeah. okay? <laughs> Nellie Portman say, get up on your good foot, okay? <laughs> okay? Break, break a leg. <laughs> break a leg. Get up on your good break foot. Break a leg. Hop up on your good foot. I'm not going to break any legs. I'm going to get the part. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. All right. Well, we've solved I, both problems right. this week. We'll see how the Oscars do, goes. I, I, again, by the way, I'm also <laughs> writing for the Oscars. Can I just say something? Don't shoot at me. It, like, if you see me on the street and you're upset, please don't. Just, you know, let me live one more ceremony, please. <laughs> East Coast, West Coast podcast beef. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get shot first and then I'm dead no, like I'm the next week. <laughs> and who did it? Diddy. <laughs> we need to move on from that. No, no, no. Bye, bye, bye. All right, well, we're back. If you can imagine, we still have the Keep It segment coming up. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, who are you going to piss off now? Okay, well, I'm actually shocked that this is sort of a light Keep It for me. I'm not passionate about it, but... um. It needs to be stated for that reason, which is to say, keep it to the new Justin Timberlake single, which to me is neither here nor there. I listened to Mm. it, and then it's one of those songs I sort of forgot I had been listening to. But I'm so used to being extremely worked up about this person. Like, I'm not like, you know, I I enjoy Britney Spears. I'm not like a a defensive Britney stan or anything. But just when I hear the name come up, I'm like, oh, God, you know, usually it just these feelings of like ancient, you know, douchebag Armani exchange grossness you know fill my brain and so when i when i heard he was coming back i was exhausted immediately and then i heard the song and it was sort of pleasantly non-existent for me um so i'm just gonna say keep it to that i i find the um upswing in the britney selfish song being ushered up the charts by her stands amusing and witty uh more of that we like that um but yeah the song is not one of his best to me and you know what if i had to pick his best song would this be crazy to you? I might go with Summer Love. Mm. It's a very good yeah, song. Yeah, the vibe, um, whatever. We're, um, uh, uh, we're outside. It's July. I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like, for me, it's probably Sexy Back. I mean, that definitely took over the world. I mean, like, or, and that's... Or, or so what, probably, like, what goes around comes around, actually. I just really love how that song feels epic. Yeah. I will say about Sexy Back, though, I mean, like, if he made it into Bartlett's familiar quotations, that would get in. I mean, it's, like, bigger than just a song. It became, you know, yeah. something you you couldn't stop hearing wherever you went. Not just And not just the actual song itself, but the sentiment itself you would hear everywhere. Mm. Listen, I like the song. It is giving... Um, Pandora Station at the office vibes. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we need to hear something at the office. We uh, Right. I, yeah. I don't want to hear Colette's typing at the cubicle next door. <laughs> Colette? I, <laughs> I've never heard somebody named Colette in my life. Anyway, other than Tony, who we've met together. Yes. Is the Kimmel offices in the fifth Androsimo? <laughs> <laughs> Should we come alive from Paris? Arrondissement <laughs> is the word, but yes. Oh, arrondissement. There you go. Arrondissement. You know what? Don't correct my friend. Okay. <laughs> I know. You've been flawless up to this point. It seems a shame <laughs> to start criticizing it now. <laughs> Zoot <Zutalo. laughs> uh. My friend Nico has gotten me obsessed with saying uh, the phrase Mamma Mia the way Italians do, which is to 
Mamma mia. Like, it has, it, it's not meant to be said in a celebratory way. It's meant to be like, I'm despairing, like, oh, mamma mia. Too many people are at this house, you know? Brings a new take to the title, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Right. Because that's just, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. <laughs> and I think we're probably going to get three more Here We Go Agains in that. Um, I, there's no way we're done with Mamma Mia just yet, the movie. Uh, <laughs> Movies. We need another classic from Old Parker. <laughs> I love his name. Yeah. Anyway, um, my keep it this week. It's also a light keep it too, you know, because I'm not against this woman. Uh huh. We know that I do love her, but um, Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl, and my argument, my keep it is not really towards Taylor herself. Listen, um, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. Right. Um, They are playing the 49ers. They're playing the game of football, by the way, if you're unfamiliar. Yes, yes. Um, It's what Ted Lasso is about. (laughs) And the game is fast approaching, but Taylor is going to be in Tokyo performing like the day before. First of all, there have been a lot of tweets about, can Taylor make the game? And she will be making the game. Tokyo's like a day ahead of Vegas. So she'll be there. Um, There's a lot of talk about how it's her 13th game. Bring this fucking murder by number shit back around. Not this. I do not want to (laughs) hear Taylor fans using their favorite thing, basic edition, to create (laughs) theories about Taylor. (laughs) And this is where the key fit is coming from. Okay? The brouhaha that will be surrounding Taylor at brouhaha. I'm stupid. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that will be surrounding Taylor at the Super Bowl is actually what I cannot take because you know it was giving um, Osama bin Laden war room yeah. the day after um, that game on Sunday. Okay, you know that every ad company, every PR girl across the U.S. brainstorming how can we reference Taylor Swift being at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be inundated by Taylor at the Super Bowl content. I'm actually tired of the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey relationship cycle that the media is wringing nothing out of. Yeah, okay? right. It is like There's just nothing to talk about. There's nothing to There's nothing coming out. Yeah. There was a fucking article that I saw that said um, Travis is really trying to plan something romantic for Taylor Swift on Valentine's Day. <laughs> you fucking think? <laughs> You mean they're dating? Yeah. <laughs> they know each other? Yeah, right. <laughs> they'll they'll get, go through a day in February together in a traditional it's way. Like, it's like, oh, Ira is hoping to have dinner with his best friend next week. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm going to hang out with my friend. Insane predicts. Yeah. <laughs> it is just, I get that anything about them is popular right now, but give me something else, bitch. Yeah. I mean, just give me a take. Okay, at least that at least that is Taylor Swift the lesbian take, crazy galaxy brained as it was. You know, it was something that we wasn't used to. You know, <laughs> no, but you're right. Like, I think that's sort of the the tough thing about her in general, but also this relationship where it's like sometimes they do hug each other in public, but otherwise there's just no there there in terms of like things to talk about. They're not, you know, for example, Marilyn Manson and Rose McGowan, where it's just like the sheer appearance of them is like, let me write an essay. You know, there's just nothing Mm -hmm. to say. 
He does look good, though. The fits go crazy. Yeah. yeah. I bought, I bought, I bought, I bought quite you? a few. Th- yeah. <laughs> the fits go crazy. <laughs> Get ready with me, okay? Uh, I, I'm actually wearing, I'm actually wearing some, um, Air Forces that uh, I saw Kelsey wearing once. So I think I I actually like following him on Instagram because I do like his fits because he's a football player. Yeah. The broad shoulders. If it fits him, it's going to fit me. Did I tell you something? When over Thanksgiving or Christmas, I was at home with my family and extended family and they had the game of football on. These men are so athletic. I don't know if you know this. The bodies have changed mm. so much from what I thought a football player looked like. Now they're like, like um, track stars. 2x like just it's a completely different body type yeah you know and a lot of a lot of them got you know that um a lot of them have that stairmaster ass that's exactly what they have yes precisely it's 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 giving it's giving what's going on here that's gay culture that's not just a shelf that's a barnes and noble you know what i'm saying (laughs) am i a rapper tell me They walk around with the same scars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you seen the 49ers? The hotter team, by the way. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, they, they are, baby. Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm. Right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Saquon Barkley. These are men, okay? Love that Rupee Power quite, poem I, you just said. <laughs> I actually follow quite a few football players on Instagram, just just for the looks. I sure don't. I mean, I, they have nothing to give me, and I have nothing to give them. We love that mutual understanding. <laughs> they, we should really bring back Playgirl, okay? Yeah, right. And not for the articles. <laughs> okay? I'm talking about opening that centerfold, and there is a man reclining. I think that our nation has really kind of lost something with the loss of softcore porn. Yeah, you're right. The, there's a lot of hardcore porn all day, usually by people that you know. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, there's my friend getting railed right. at a, on a balcony overlooking a Starbucks in Denver. Which means it's Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but what happened to softcore porn? Right. A, li- a little light nudity. A little suggestion. Okay. A little, show a little ankle. <laughs> it happened one night. The porn I want. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, in olden days, a flash of stocking was looked on as something shocking. <laughs> but now God knows, fisting goes. I don't know. <laughs> Cole Porter would write that lyric today, I just want to say. He would. Yeah. Yeah. But the last thing I want to say about Travis Kelsey is the fits go crazy, but there's something going on with his walk. Have you seen him walk? No, uh, yes. What do you mean? He, he, he walks a little bit like Annalise Keating. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm well, just wondering, is it thing. because? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm just wondering, is it the butt? Is it because you know he's 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 packing? Yeah. In in a are you happy to see me kind of way? <laughs> uh, maybe it's that. Maybe that's sometimes why straight men give like a little waddle. But it is giving how to get away with murder. Mm. So go go and look at him walking and come back to me. I know they're probably going to show a clip on the YouTube. Yeah. Um, on this the is YouTube. the kind of reading we recommend, by the way. <laughs> Go ahead and watch him waddle down the street. Tell me what you think about that. <laughs> Everyone look at that, and there will be a pop quiz tomorrow. Okay, great, great, great. Love that. Yeah. All right, well, that's our show. I think we actually got a lot off our chest. I actually feel somewhat um, exorcised, you know, uh, yeah. of Roman and his reloading. <laughs> Until you get doxxed. Right. Oh, yeah. This is the last week of my life. I mean to say that. Yes. <laughs> Barbie reloaded. The re-up. <laughs> Scary. Uh, do you know what a re-up is? 
like the next edition. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, it's also it's also drug lingo. Oh, okay. Well, that's your you territory. Know, like, yeah. Oh, oh all right. <laughs> I'm a spring breaker over yeah, here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Train spotting over there. Yeah. I'm in season six of The Wire. <laughs> Tough. Yeah, the podcast season of The Wire would win Emmys. I just want to put that out there. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolles for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Hollywood Exiles from the BBC World Service and CBC Podcasts is the story of how Hollywood became the focus of a decades-long FBI campaign to root out communism in America. Lee Grant, Best Supporting Actress 1975, and Communist Witch Hunt Survivor, we speak your name. Host Una Chaplin, wow, that's amazing, guides listeners through the real-life events of J. Edgar Hoover's personal obsession with her grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, through the notorious House Un-American Activities Committee hearings and the Hollywood Blacklist. It's a tale of glamour duplicity, and political intrigue as it reverberates in the culture wars to this day. (laughs) You started with Christine Amanpour inflection and then just went into zany. (laughs) Listen now wherever you get your podcast. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, The Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.